and his example, that we can rest in his eternally capable hands. Uh, I forgot to mention, too, before we get started, thanks to Vanessa for reminding me that the total uh, due for the women's trip is October 2nd. So that should be this next Saturday, right, Vanessa? Yeah, it's this next Saturday. So those that's going to be due this next Saturday if you have a balance due. So I apologize that I missed that. Today we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 4. And uh, as you can tell, Pastor's obviously not here. He's visiting uh, his family, spending some time uh, with his wife and his kids. So pray for them as they uh, just have a time of rest and fellowship and pray for safe travels back. Uh, I have been spending time in the youth room. On Wednesdays, we're going through the book of Acts right now, and, and we're doing that in our college group as well. And in sun, on Sundays, we're going through Luke. So uh, a couple Sundays ago and today was supposed to be Luke chapter 4. So I've invited, I'll invite my youth in second service to sit through. And so we're just going through uh, Luke chapter on chapter. And, and Luke 4 is something that as I've been studying through and thinking through and praying through is, man, it's been really exciting uh, for me to see for a couple reasons. One, we see how Jesus coming back from being baptized in the Jordan, how he handled temptation. There's a lesson, there's an example there for us that's going to be so important for us to hold on to. And then carrying on further in Luke 4, it's interesting to see how Jesus interacted with some, uh, some evil spirits. I don't know that we'll get there today. Uh, I'm hoping that we do, but if not, uh, I will finish that up in, with the youth uh, next Sunday. And in Luke 3, finishing it up, if you've read through Luke 3 anytime recently, you'll remember that's where Jesus was baptized. And uh, he came out of the water and the heavens were open, the Bible says. And if you remember, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And then there was a voice that was heard saying, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased. See, Jesus... Uh, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, was setting an example for baptism here. And he, he was baptized in the Jordan. He came out and, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And God again said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. But where Jesus was headed was to a trial. And we'll see that as chapter 4 kicks off. And I know pastor has said this up here, and it bears repeating that we're either, and how many of you guys have remembered him saying this, that we're either in the middle of a trial, we're coming out of a trial, or we're getting ready to go in to a trial. Have you guys heard pastor say that from up here? And it's so true. We're going to see that here in this example of Jesus being led into the wilderness. Uh, I put here in my notes after a, time, a high time, really that mountaintop experience. And we see this, interestingly enough, as a youth group at camp, right? Kids go through summer and uh, they've just, you know, either graduated or left the previous grade. And they're kind of re resting and recuperating and, and hopefully they're plugged into church. And then we get to camp usually in late July, early August. And they have this mountaintop experience. They get closer together to each other. They get closer to the Lord. They some sweet times of worship and prayer. And then what happens? They come back. They come back and they go back to school. They go back to this battleground. And the same is true for every mountaintop type experience that we have with the Lord. The reality brings us right back down to earth. Jesus is going to give us an example of how we face, and again, the topic is going to be around temptation. Jesus is going to give us an example of how we face temptation, how we can face it successfully. 
And I'll give you a little hint. It's nothing about us or our own strength. I titled today's message, Dwell on God's Truth, Lessons from Luke 4. And that's really, if I could take one, if I could send you off with one takeaway today, it's that we have to press in and trust God's word. That we cannot do anything apart from who God is, his word, and through prayer. And it's one thing, how many of you can remember a time when you've sat down maybe and you've read, let's say you read Luke chapter four, because we're in that today. You, you read the chapter, you sat down and you told yourself, man, I'm going to read, I'm going to open up God's word. I sit down maybe with my coffee in the morning and I read a chapter and I get done with that chapter and then I stop and think, what did I just read? And you don't even remember what you just read because your mind was so distracted and so wandered. Is there a difference between listening and hearing? Is another way of putting it. Can I hear something? I hear somebody say something, but what's the difference between that and listening to what they're saying? Right? There's a difference. And there's a difference between reading God's word and meditating on God's word. Chewing on it, letting it sit in your heart. And that's going to be how we can find success against temptation. Uh, obviously, with other things, prayer, worship, devotion, things like that. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. If, I'm hoping we can get further than that, but the main focus today is ch uh, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I'd love for you to turn with me there, Luke chapter 4, again, verses 1. If you do not have a Bible, uh, please let us know. We would love to bless you with one. And uh, if you could stand with me, we'll, I'll invite you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. And we're just going to read through it, then we'll pray and kind of jump right into it. So Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Then Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must not worship or you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point in the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he had left him until the next opportunity came. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we open your word today, and we just ask that you speak to us. Lord, convict us, encourage us. May we draw closer to you. Lord, we thank you that you've given your word to us, that no matter where we at, we can be fed, we can meditate, we can read, we can be encouraged, we can be convicted by your truth, by your promises, by who you are. Thank you, Jesus, for the example you gave us in temptation and prayer and obedience. 
Lord, we fail so often and so many times and so many ways, and we thank you for your patience. Lord, you know the hidden things in our heart, the things we struggle with, and we lay those at your feet. Lord, what, there's no better place to be than, as the video says, in your eternally capable hands. We love you. Bless this time. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So going back to Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and there's so much here, and I hope that you, you, when you read through this, you can be as encouraged and as excited uh, as I was studying through this. Looking at Jesus' example, Luke 4, 1 through 2 again says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where, there, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. I think we can say for sure that during Jesus' ministry, he lived his life and performed his ministry as a spirit-filled person. What's interesting to me and what I can admit to you that I still have a hard time, and it's because of God's goodness, it's because of his mercy and his compassion, but what I, can, what I still struggle wrapping my mind around is that we understand Jesus was a man, but do we understand that Jesus was also God? And that he chose not to rely on the resources that he had or his divine nature, but willingly limited himself for the sake of the cross. I mean, do you guys realize that when Jesus was walking and when he was being mocked and punched and spat on, that they were spitting on God? I mean, Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. And even through all of that, he just took it. He accepted it because he knew he had, a, he had the end in mind, if you will. So Jesus will find as an example he gives us throughout all of Scripture is that, that he can identify with us, that he understands what we're going through. And we see in Luke chapter 3 at the end that he identifies up with us in baptism. He submits himself in baptism. And we can see then in the beginning of Luke chapter 4 that he's going to identify, us, identify with us again. He's going to show us an example again in how he handles temptation. How many of us, if we're honest, can say in here that we've been tempted at least once in our life? Okay. How many of us can say we've been at least tempted once before we ate breakfast this morning? Right? All the time. Temptation is not going away. Temptation will go away when we're in eternity with the Lord. But while we're on this broken, fallen earth, we will always struggle with temptation. And what Jesus is doing here is he's showing us how we could be effective against temptation because we can. There is hope when we're tempted. We don't have to get in, give in, and he's going to show us this. And sometimes we think, and we'll read here verses uh, in Hebrew 4, Hebrews 4.15. 4, uh, this just goes back again to show that he identified uh, with us in temptation. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do yet he did not sin and sometimes we think that uh, maybe jesus's temptations were not real because maybe they weren't exactly like what we faced from where we sit from what we see from what we read maybe we think well he didn't really understand because he didn't go through this but i think in many ways jesus's temptations were more real 
and probably more severe than we realize, than maybe what we even go through for sure. If we could be honest, how do sometimes we relent when we're tempted? What do we do that kind of relieves that temptation, if we're to be brutally honest? We give in. See, Jesus was tempted, but what did he never do? He never gave in. See, Jesus went through his whole life still being tempted like we're tempted, but, but he did it perfectly. He never gave in. He never sinned. He had to withstand much greater pressure and temptation than you or I ever will. As a matter of fact, if we think through it, if we, and we're not, so don't get me wrong, I'm not speaking heresy here, but if we were Jesus, if we had the power that Jesus has as God, and somebody hit us in the face one time, do you think that we'd be in sin instantly? If we had that power to retaliate? Jesus never did. See, he saw eternity from the beginning to the end. Never sinned. And I just, it's so, it's just an incredible thought that God would willingly come down to earth, subject himself to all that, subject himself to the cross, give us an example through his experience, through what he does. It's not just Jesus saying, hey, don't do this. He came to earth, he was tempted, he successfully resisted it, and he showed us how to do it. And as we read through the next verses, we'll see where Jesus was tempted, how he was tempted, and how he handles it. And these temptations will fall into one of three categories. And as we read through them, think through, okay, what category could this fall under? To see those categories, we look right at 1 John 2.16. And if you have your Bible, turn there with me. You'll see it on the screen. Think through when I read this, what categories can I pull out? If I was to pull out a, a categorization of sin, what would it be? First John 2, 16 through 17. For the world offers only craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but they are from this world. For this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does... What pleases God will live forever. What categories are we seeing? Maybe the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. See, these are the three categories that every temptation, every sin will fall into. It's either going to tickle my eyes, it's going to please my flesh, or it's going to puff me up above God, or attempt to at least, in my mind, or yours. We don't have to, we can look at the very beginning of the Bible to see this really right up front. And in Genesis 3, 6, we see this example where Adam and Eve are in the garden, right? And what did God place in the garden and tell them, don't touch? It's a tree, right? It was fruit. It was a tree, right? And God told them very clearly, if we go back and read Genesis, was God clear? Let me ask this. Was God clear? You can have everything. Don't touch this. It was clear. Now, why would God do that? Why would God put that tree in the garden of evil and say, neener, neener, you can't have this? Because that's not why. That's how we think. And that's how uh, some people will argue it. But why would God put that tree there to begin with? And this idea echoes throughout all of the Bible. It represented choice, right? God gave us free will. So he couldn't put us in the garden and never give us the opportunity to choose something other than him. That's not love. See, God loves us so much that he says, hey, 
Here I am. Matter of fact, I'll come down to earth for you. I'll take your punishment for you. I'll, I'll pay the way. I'll do everything that I can do to make a way for you. All you have to do is choose. And that's what that tree represented. It was a choice. It was that free will choice that man had. And we see how we fell prey to that tree. When Satan uh, was tempting Eve, he said that it was good for food. You could eat it. It's good, right? It's beautiful. It's got beautiful fruit. That's lust of what? The flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes. It looked pretty. It was shiny. It was sparkly. Lust of the eyes. And what else did he say? What would it do? Make one wise. Pride of life. Oh, I could be like God. I could understand. Like God understands. As a matter of fact, if we go all the way back to when Lucifer was an exalted angel, what brought him down? The pride of life. He saw God's creation. I could do this. Maybe I could do this better. Nothing's new. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all sin falls in these categories. Christians have always been and will always be lured by these same three temptations. We see this with Adam and Eve, uh, and we see this with what Jesus experienced. See, Satan does not change his methods. He doesn't have to. Why? Because they work. They're effective. Time and time again, we start thinking more high of ourselves than we should. We start seeing the new thing. We think, I got to have it. Or something satisfies my flesh and it feels good and I want it. So to counter, and these are just three quick examples, then we'll kind of break these down even more. So if we look at the lust of the flesh, what's one biblical example we can see that speaks to that? And Paul did. He said it in 1 Corinthians. I don't allow my body to have mastery over me. There's, there's specific things we can do for that. To counter the lust of the eyes, we see David uh, when he said, I will, not, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. We see that in Psalms 101. Or to counter the pride of life, we see what Jesus did. If anybody in history can have pride, it's Jesus. But he humbled himself in obedience, made himself of no reputation. We see that in Philippians 2.7. To fulfill God's will. So as we move on and look at that first temptation, uh, and as I read this, I want you to think about, okay, we understand we've got lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. So when we read through this temptation, let's think through what falls in this category. Where does that fit? So in Luke 4, verses 3 through 4, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So if we could categorize this, how would we categorize that? Lust of what? Maybe the flesh? See, Jesus hadn't eaten. So is it fair to say that he's probably pretty hungry? I can't even go 12 hours without eating, and I feel like I'm dying. Right? But Jesus had gone on much longer without eating. He was hungry. And so isn't it interesting that the first thing Satan does, the first thing the enemy does is he goes right for, he thinks you're weak. Oh, you haven't eaten. Why don't you eat? You're God. See this stone here? You can make it bread. 
You deserve it. You've done great. You deserve it. What a tactic of Satan. You deserve it. What do we deserve? Death. That is all I deserve. Anything else is just God's mercy and grace. Here's the key. We're going to break this down for a little bit before we go to the second and the third temptation. And Jesus handles this temptation how we are supposed to handle temptation. See, he submitted to the word. He was, as a matter of fact, he was quoting Deuteronomy 8. And this is how we can be beat Satan's temptation. Now, don't get me wrong. Just quoting scripture isn't it, right? There's a lot more to it. We have to be in fellowship with God. We have to pray. We have to study his word. We have to do all of these things. If I think that just I can go out and live in the world the way I want and just quote scripture and then all temptation will flee, I'm mistaken. And we're going to go through that. When we look at the Bible, it gives us an example, and I've talked through this with our youth and with our college. There's only one thing in Scripture that we can use, we see as an offensive weapon. Does anybody know what that is? The sword of the Spirit, which is what? God's Word, the Word of God, the living Word of God. See, this isn't just a book. This is God speaking to His creation, to humanity. Why do you think the Bible's so hated, so hotly contested? Because it pierces in the darkness of this world. It speaks truth to a fallen and depraved world. It's why if I am to be honest and I, I pick up God's word and I read it and I truly meditate on it and I let it set in my heart, I can't leave the same. It changes you. We see it in the whole armor of God. Again, the only offensive weapon is Scripture. There's a story uh, told of a man with a bulging waistline, so I, I won't put me in that situation, but it could be me, who decided to do something about his weight. Engaging the fight of the flab, he decided to change his route to work so that he would not pass by that favorite donut shop. And you men if, or, or you folks that are with us on Wednesday mornings know that struggle. But not long after sharing this in his office, so he went to work and he told people about it. He arrived at work one morning with a huge box of donuts. And when his surprised co-workers asked what was going on, he said, listen, these are no ordinary donuts. They're from the Lord. These are God's donuts. What in the world are you talking about, they said. The man replied, listen, it's quite simple. Today... Today I was on my way to the office and I accidentally, now I mean this, I accidentally drove by my favorite donut shop. I didn't take the other route. And I saw those glazed and those sprinkled topping donuts. They were just calling my name from the window. I was just so good. And I was hungry, right? It had been about eight hours since I'd eaten, since I had something to eat. I was, I was starved. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me a parking space right in front of that donut shop. And if that happens, then I know... I know that you want me to have some donuts today, and those would be the Lord's donuts. And sure enough, after eight trips around the block, there was a parking spot right in front of that donut shop. And although this is funny, this story does, well, it's funny to me, it may not be to you. Uh, the story does point to the serious matter of not being serious about temptation. 
In our struggle against the rulers of darkness, we tend to fight with kids' gloves. Our resolve to do right, listen to this, our resolve to do right and fight wrong of our own strength often has a consistency of jello. Instead of taking cover, instead of finding God's way of escape, God's way of handling it, we put ourselves knowingly and wantingly in harm's way because we think, I can do this. I read my Bible. I can stand toe-to-toe with the enemy. A couple points that I want to make, about eight, I think, actually, before we move on. Number one, Jesus was still fully God and fully man when he was tempted. Jesus was perfect, and he perfectly resisted temptation. You and I are not God. We are not perfect, and we will fail when we're tempted. But his example is what we needed to try and follow. He showed us that temptation can be resisted. See, he came, it's not, again, the beauty of what Jesus did, and there's so many things, so I don't mean to downplay uh, his example, but he came, willingly came to earth, submitted himself, and then said, this is how you resist temptation. I'll be tempted, and I'll show you you can do it, okay? I'll go out and live a perfect life and show you that I'm the only way. There is hope for us in his example. There's something for us to strive for. Number two, we have no hope for resisting temptation. We have no hope for resisting temptation without God's living word. We have to read it. And more than read it, we have to do what with it? We have to meditate on it. We have to apply it. Number three, and this may surprise some of you, but I just, this is a reality check, I guess. Did you know that Satan is more powerful than you? And he's more powerful than me? And I cannot stand toe-to-toe with him? Some Christians think, I'm going to go do battle with Satan. That's stupid. No, you're not. We can have no hope for success against temptation apart from the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. That is who can defeat Satan. That is who can help us resist temptation. But too often we puff ourselves up and we stand on our own pride and say, I can resist it. How many of us can say, as a matter of fact, talking about the Holy Spirit, and then I'll get into that. The Holy Spirit, what is the function of the Holy Spirit for us? One, we know in Acts that he was promised, and we see in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit comes and given to the church. But what was the function and what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, of God's Spirit? It's for peace. It's for, it's for bringing his word. It's for discernment. It's God's Spirit within us. That's where our power comes from. That's where the power of the early church came from. You saw miracles that they did. That wasn't because they were special. It's because it was God's Spirit working through them for his will to reach his people. The Holy Spirit is what brings remembrance, God's word, in our time of need. So I say all that to say that if you don't have God's spirit, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this means nothing to you. But you can. You can today have a relationship with him. How many of us can say that when we're tempted, because I've done this, I've done this so many times. So I'm hoping somebody else in here raises their hand, because if not, then I'm just 
the worst one up here, I guess. But how many of us can say that when we're tempted with something, we'll tell ourselves, I can do this. I'm just not going to do it this time. Maybe it's alcohol. I'm just not going to take this drink, right? And then what happens in 10 minutes? We're filled with remorse and regret because we just fell flat on our face. Or maybe, maybe this time I'm not going to look at that site that I shouldn't look at. I'm not going to do it. I refuse. Nope, not going to do it. I'm stronger than that. And 10 minutes later, I guess I'm not stronger than that. We aren't strong enough is the point. We need God. We need his word. And Jesus is making this clear by the example that he's giving us. Number four, and how many of you can feel this? You just feel this deep inside. Satan is relentless in his pursuit of the destruction of you and me, of his people. Relentless. It does not back down. He does not give up. As a matter of fact, if you remember back, and we'll talk about this at the end of this temptation, what does it say? That when Jesus had, or when Satan had finished tempting Jesus, what did Satan do? Anybody remember? What did Satan do? He left for a more opportune time, even with Jesus. So what makes you mean you think we're going to get through this life and not face temptation? Satan is relentless. The enemy is relentless and will not give up. We see this in the garden with Adam and Eve. And these are people that lived in a perfect creation without sin until they sinned. We see this with Job, with Daniel, in the lion's den, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, with Cain and Abel, with, with uh, David, maybe with your family member, or my family member, our spouse, our children. We see that Satan is relentless in his pursuit for destruction. As a matter of fact, Peter, in 1 Peter 5.8, goes on to describe exactly what Satan is doing today. It says in verse 8 in 1 Peter 5, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Number five, we have to have an active prayer life. You got to pray. It's how we communicate to the Lord. It's how we communicate to God. We pray. We talk with him. And it has to be intentional. It can't just be, I remember at camp, and they thought it was funny, but we had this one girl uh, came up with, uh, she was with another church, and they, each person, um, or each church, when we were at camp in Catalina Island with the kids, would have to serve every day and, and help set up for the meals and clean up. They, they did all the meals, but they would, you know, do the cleanup duty and the kitchen duty. And, and they would also be responsible for selecting somebody to pray. And so, uh, and again, these are a bunch of teenagers, so take that, you know, it is what it is. But her, her prayer was rub-a-dub-dub, something about a tub. Thank you, God, for this grub. Amen. So it's not the words that we say, right? We can definitely be disrespectful in our communication and prayer with God, but we're talking about intentionality, intentionally communicating with the Lord. I'm not talking about just praying because that's just what we do. We just fold our hands at night. I don't even really, I'm just on autopilot. Thank you, God, for this food. Amen. And we eat. I'm talking about communication, talking with the Lord intentionally, spending time with, pleading, being honest and open with God. 
Number six, if we were to have any success, and again, it's not us, it's a work of God. If we were to have any success in resisting temptation, we have to be serious about resisting temptation. If that's what we want to do, and we realize that God's ways are better, and we don't want to sin, we want to please the Lord, then we have to treat it like we don't want to sin and we want to please the Lord. we got to be serious about resisting temptation. And by that I mean, if I'm struggling, let's say, with alcoholism, am I still visiting the same places that I did when I was drinking? Am I still hanging out with the same friends? Am I still living the same lifestyle, but I'm surprised why I can't get out of this rut, this struggle? Maybe I'm a drug addict and I'm still visiting the same places. Maybe I'm struggling with pornography or sexual addiction, but I still find myself late at night sitting on the computer when that temptation hits. See, if I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again and I'm expecting a different result, what's that the definition of? You guys all know it. Insanity. Am I serious about pleasing the Lord? Am I serious about not living in sin any longer? So going back to his example, let's look closer at the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is laid out, actually you can find it in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21 says, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. We're not done. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties. It's also described in other translations as orgies and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So here's a question. Maybe we struggle with the outburst of anger that it was talking about in Scripture. The outburst of anger. I wonder how many of us actually have searched God's Word, have searched the Scripture for what God says about anger. If I struggle with anger and I say that I'm a Christian, how many of us have actually, have I actually picked up His Word and said, hey, what does God have to say about anger? Have I meditated on it? Do I repeat it when I'm being tempted? Maybe I struggle with, again, drunkenness or drugs or something like that. Have I sought out what God's word says about that topic? Have I meditated on it? Do I repeat it when I'm tempted? Same thing with sexual sin. Have I studied about it? See, and what we're doing when we do this, and again, this isn't it. We have to give our hearts to the Lord. We have to pray. We have to seek him. We have to worship. We have to study his word. Those are all things that we have to do if we're ever going to have any hope through his power of resisting the enemy. But we're training ourselves when we study and we meditate like Jesus did when he repeated scripture. He used the only offensive weapon we see by quoting scripture back to Satan to resist that temptation. We're training ourselves, number one, to see the value of God's word. If I'm struggling with something and I'm tempted with it, well, okay, well, this book is important. It gives me the example. It gives me the instructions of how I'm supposed to live, how I'm supposed to handle this situation. Two, we're reaffirming with our mouth that God's word is true and important for our correction, 
for my correction and for your correction. And we are meditating on God's word. We're filling ourselves with his living word. See, as an example could be uh, like with this bottle or a cup, right? If this cup is filling with temptation and, 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 and evil and things that distract me from God. And, and then, you know, the cup will only get so full, right? And then so I start worship and I start praising and I start filling that cup with God's word and my intentional devotion to him and communication and prayer. Well, all of a sudden I'm making less and less room for those things because I'm focused on the creator of the universe. That's why the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing and to meditate on his word day and night because uh, like pastor says we're leaky we have to constantly be filled constantly be filled looking at luke uh, chapter 4 5 through 8 the devil took him up then and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time i will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them the devil said because they are mine to give to anyone i please and I will give it to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Lust of the eyes. Just like we see in Genesis 3, and it was pleasant to the eyes. Isn't it interesting here? And I don't know if you guys have ever thought on this. That Satan says he has the right to offer the kingdoms of this world to Jesus when he's tempting him. Paul declares him actually as the little g God of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is, in, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, when Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan, they chose, they chose to give in. They chose to follow the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It looked good. It looked shiny. They, in effect, handed Satan the deed to this planet. Simply put, the lust of the eyes is a sinful desire to possess what we see or to have the things which have visual appeal. Maybe it's coveting money, possessions, really anything that isn't God, anything that distracts us from our relationship with the Lord. John emphasizes that the physical things won't last. We know this. Pastors talked about this up here. You never see somebody... Heading to heaven with a hearse or heading to the afterlife with a hearse, right? Or, or, or with a U-Haul, pulling all their stuff with them. There's so many people, and we can all do this, that hold on so tightly to things that are not eternal. Things that will burn up. Things that we can't take with us. And the lust of the eyes doesn't only refer to looking at something that would tempt us or stimulate us, but it can also be seeing things any other way than God sees them. See, they're all kind of interchangeable. They all kind of go hand in hand. See, Satan here is desiring to be worshipped. He tells this to Jesus. He says, hey, I'll give all this to you. It's mine to give. I'll give you all the kingdoms. All you got to do is worship me. He still wants to be worshipped. 
all the way back from the very beginning when he fell. Nothing's changed. He, essentially, he's telling Jesus, hey, listen, you don't need to do this whole cross thing, right? I'll just give it to you now. You could be over all of it. Just worship me. They take the shortcut. How many of us like shortcuts? I wonder if we could ask ourselves, do we worship, and think about this as I say this, do we worship the enemy of this world with the things that we do, with the example that we are, with what we fill our mind with, what we fill our time with, with what I fill my relentless pursuit with? Who are we worshiping? There's no middle ground, there's no compromise. You either worship God or you don't. And the don't is worshiping Satan. It's worshiping the little God of this world. All right, so he's tried twice. He's tried twice. He hasn't been successful. So we're going to go on to verses 9 through 12. And he's going to like, okay, this third one, this will get you though. This, this one will get you. So that it says in verse 9, the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, Jump off. Listen to this. He, Satan says, For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and to guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Pride of life. See, Satan was attempting to appeal to Jesus' divine nature, trying to puff him up. Hey, you're God. You can't be hurt. The scriptures say you're going to be protected. Angels won't allow it. Come on, just jump. Everybody will see, hey, maybe you can even be glorified. Maybe God can be glorified because they'll see that you really are special. And Jesus said, no, you don't test God. I'm not doing it. Isn't it interesting that Satan says, for it is written. It reminds us that Satan really is a Bible expert because he knows how to perfectly twist God's word just at the right time. That's what he's trying to do with Jesus. Remind him, hey, it's written. The Bible says this. Your word says this. You'll be protected. And sadly today, many people will accept anyone who quotes a Bible verse as if they were teaching God's truth. But listen to me, the mere use of biblical words does not convey the will of God. I can take any scripture in the Bible and I can make my own theology out of it. Now all of a sudden, I mean, look at what, what people are doing from the pulpit today, right? Now all of a sudden, well, I know that God says sexual immorality isn't good. And that it's a sin, but that's not, he wasn't talking about this. Now all of a sudden we're redefining marriage. We're redefining the very creation of God with men and women and what that even looks like and what that means. And, and not only are we doing that as a society, a society, but people are doing it from the pulpit and then saying, so says God. I wonder what would happen if we had a people that no matter what they heard from TikTok and from YouTube and from Instagram and from Facebook or from the pulpit or on the street would say, hold on, 
let me see what God's word says and just let his word speak for itself. Not try and reinterpret it. I wonder where we would be as a society. I will say, I say this to my youth frequently and to the college group, whether it's me, whether it's pastor Mike Ozheimer, whether it's pastor Mike Axon, whether it was pastor Chuck Smith, whether it's Greg Laurie, whether it's Raul Reese, it doesn't matter who it is. You never take what men say as gospel. You take the gospel as gospel because we're all infallible. We all fail. We all say stupid stuff. Search the scriptures yourself. So, some have also suggested that Satan is such a, a Bible expert because he spent centuries looking for loopholes. And then we finish up here in Luke chapter 4, verses 13. Uh, yeah, chapter 4, verse 13. And it says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. See, when Satan couldn't get anywhere, he left for a while. But he always seeks to come back when the time is right, when there's an opportunity, maybe when we let our guard down, when we're weak, when we leak. That's why we have to constantly be filled. That's why being in church and in fellowship is so important. Prayer is so important. Constant, intentional prayer daily, not just in the morning when you get up, not just in the evening when you go to sleep, but throughout the day. Can you walk down the street and communicate with God? Yes, no matter where you're at. We see this in an example of the Samaritan woman at the well. When she says, you good Jews, you worship over there and you have to be in your temple. And Jesus said, that's changing. It's going to be a heart thing. You're going to be able to talk to me no matter where you're at. And then are we reading our Bible with intentionality? Do we read it just to read it, to check a box? Because you can do that. Have fun. Or do we read it to meditate on it. And then do we think on it? And then when we're tempted, do those, do those verses come back and do we chew on them? Do we meditate on them? No, this is where that anger leads. No, this is where that addiction leads. It doesn't mean that we're going to be successful all the time. We fail, but we meditate, we seek, we pray, we worship. And we do that until we draw our last breath and we go to eternity with the Lord. If you are listening today or you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then most of this won't make sense to you because the Holy Spirit is the thing that allows us to do what we do in the name of, of God. And you don't have that. I want to encourage you in Romans that Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have, you have, we all have. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And 5.8, Romans 5.8 declares that God demonstrates his own love in this way, that while we were still sinners, he came to make a way for us. He died for us on the cross. And that all you and I have to do if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe it. Because there's no magic words here. I don't just say Jesus is my Lord, I'm saved. Great, and I'm going to go back to the bar. No, I have to believe it in my heart. I have to be at a point where I say, no, God, I accept you. You are the only way to heaven. I can't do this on my own. I'm broken. Save me. 
for everyone that calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Not just some. It wasn't just Jews. It was Jews and Gentiles. When you call in the name of the Lord, you become the elect of God. When you give your heart to him. Romans 8 finishes, it says, For I'm convinced now that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus paid a very real price for my sin and for yours. Accept him today if you haven't. I'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you need prayer. Again, if you need a Bible, we have them. We'd love to give you one and just be blessed as we, uh, we sing worship one last time and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and just thank you. Lord, just thank you so much for your word, for your sacrifice, for making a way, Lord. And Lord, just settle your word in our hearts today. Lord, and just may we know that we can do nothing apart from you. We can do no good thing apart from you. And that, Lord, thank you for your spirit. We saw in Acts chapter 2 where you sent your spirit. We thank you for that. Forgive us, Lord, when we try and handle things on our own. And for anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray that you would just work. Lord, work in their heart and they come to know that, Lord, you gave us a free gift that no man can take away. A gift that seals us eternally in your presence, by your love, by your grace, by your sacrifice. Lord, we love you. Thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.
God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in Jesus. Hope to see you throughout the week.